Can we uh, just bow our heads and pray for a moment? From every uh, tribe and language and people and nation, they come to praise your name, Lord God. We pray that you would raise our sights uh, this evening and uh, enable us to remember that your purposes for humankind have never changed. You continue compassionate, merciful and loving to all you have made. Amen. Do you please sit down? And can I just add uh, uh, an extra word of welcome, um, uh, as well as Nigel's, from me? Uh, it seems to be the Sunday. There's obviously some sort of bush telegraph goes out. It seems to be the Sunday when uh, those who've gone out from Holy Trinity to be students have decided to come back. You are very welcome. It's good to see you back uh, and see you again. Timbuktu. Rio. Paris, Zanzibar. They are all real places, and yet in their own way, each one is very exotic. They have associations, don't they? Who can think of Paris without thinking of the the Eiffel Tower and lights? Who can think of Rio de Janeiro? without thinking of the ladies' beach volleyball team. <laughs> well, probably some of you can. I, um, I can't. Um, they're all real, uh, uh, but all slightly exotic. There's a sense in which they're not just real places, they're like cartoons. They're ideas as much as places. And in the days of Jonah, they too had places like that. And one of them was this place called Tarshish. Please turn to the book of Jonah. It's on page 927. Tarshish it was renowned uh, in the books of the prophets of the Old Testament. Uh, we'd find a Tarshish, Tarshish um, as a place of trading. It's a place from which ships went out. And its exotic quality can be seen that at one point we read of a cargo coming from Tarshish with gold and silver and ivory and apes and baboons. And when the call of God comes to Jonah, the prophet, to take the word of God to the people of Nineveh, Jonah instantly jumps on a ship, but in order to head off to this place, Tarshish. And it matters that Tarshish had this kind of reputation. Because Jonah is not just randomly running away. It is, after all, a kind of obedience. God's told him to go, and he's going. It's just the wrong direction. Perhaps Tarshish sounded so much more exciting than Nineveh. Nineveh was known as just a disaster zone. And the original text makes the connection clear, and I've borrowed this, don't think I'm, I'm adept in Hebrew, I'm not. But Tarshish was famed, is framed in this text as precisely where God is not. Let me read it to you as it originally runs. Jonah rose to run away to Tarshish from Yahweh's face, Yahweh, the name of God, and he went down to Joppa and he found a ship 
going to Tarshish. And he paid its fare, and he went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from Yahweh's face. Tarshish was by definition away from Yahweh's face. And the problem Jonah's got is the problem with which we're going to be concerned this evening. It's a story probably for those of us who've been believers for a while, who may be tempted to find God just a teensy-weensy bit dull. It's a great story. And it might be worth saying along the way that that's what I take it to be, by the way. I take it to be a story. It's so extravagant. It's, it's so funny. It's so witty in picking up references from other biblical episodes. It doesn't say, this is a story, but then Jesus begins his account of the two sons in Luke 15, saying, there was a man. He doesn't say, listen, this is a parable, okay, it's just a story. He just says, There's, there was a man. And I take it that this is that same kind of thing. And I'm going to propose to you two questions this evening. The first one is this, are you going where God wants? See, sin comes in all kinds of forms, doesn't it? Most obviously, there are criminal sins that destroy social life. Some of you are involved in the sort of legal frameworks that keep society going and protected from criminal uh, sins and the damage they can do. But then there's moral sins. There aren't actually laws against greed or lust, but they can do terrible damage. So far, so obvious. But there's also another category that we might call vocational sins. Let me try and explain it like this. Um, this morning, I, um, uh, I teased at Mike and Beth, who are going to get married, and I asked them why did they want to get married. Um, now, let's assume that Beth's answer would, was, I just love Mike and think he's wonderful, and I just know it's the right thing for me to do. Let's assume she said that. Now, um, if, if, it's, if it's so good to love Mike Allen, if it's so wonderful to love Mike Allen, then is the logic that we should all marry Mike Allen? <laughs> no, it isn't. And Beth's probably rather glad about that. But um, that it would be a vocational sin not to proceed to marriage for Beth, given the way she feels about Mike Allen. But it would only be a sin for her. doesn't mean it's a sin for us not to marry Mike. And what Jonah is committing here is vocational sin. There's a clear call on his life for vocation, but he takes the wrong, he takes the opposite direction. He takes a ship from Joppa instead of the road to Nineveh. And the thing that really matters about vocational sin, the thing that's most insidious about it, is that no one is going to know. If you come to this church with a criminal record, then from time to time, someone may find out about it. If you come to this church with uh, a habit of greed or lust, then probably along the way, your behavior will show it up. But if you come here committing vocational sin, doing one thing when you should be doing something else, no one will know. 
Think how it is for Jonah. Jonah hears the word, and he heads off for his destination immediately. He takes the initiative. He pays for his fare. He makes the sacrifice to his own, of his own cost to, to get the ship to deliver him where he's going. Imagine what they thought of him, because he was known to be a prophet. They would think, well, oh, Tarshish is so obviously the place where he must go. Only Jonah knows the difference. They would be saying, all respect to Jonah. He's going to set off on the sea. The, the, the Jews didn't like the sea. Uh, generally, they regarded it as a place of chaos and terror. But he's prepared to do that, to answer the call of his God. Only Jonah would have known that it was otherwise. And that's why this is a text for any who've been believers for a while. If tonight you are heading for Tarshish, then not a person here is going to know about it, except you. Because most of us will have a Tarshish of our own. Service to God comes in a thousand forms. Each one of them is a calling on your life, a vocation. But it's unique to you. And because it's unique to you, that means we can keep it private. And no one will know that deep inside we're heading for Tarshish, to what we want, not what we're called to. That we're heading to where God is not, away from Yahweh's face. Going where we can escape the call of God precisely by looking as though we were fulfilling the call of God. Tarshish is a place, but it's also an idea like those others, Timbuktu and Rio and what have you. It's a fantasy. And we can have spiritual fantasies as much as any other kind. Perhaps we see ourselves in some particular place of service, playing the hero, making a difference, being appreciated. And the church will sometimes even go along with us and give us exactly what we ask for. It will encourage us in our fantasy. Suppose uh, that you have been training as a teacher. And uh, the job adverts, the processes that come along, nudge you towards uh, picking up your um, first years as a teacher in a really difficult school, in a very run-down area of the inner city, an area where the church is just a joke. Wouldn't it be enticing instead to head out to, say, Mozambique, despite its terrible poverty? Who would know that in your heart of hearts, you would find it easier to be where the kids were poor but believers than you would to find, it, to find yourself amid the social breakdown of an estate that was much closer to home? At the end of our service, uh, we'll pray for Daniel Timms, who's going to be going off to Ecuador. Uh, Daniel's going off to Ecuador, by the way. Is anyone else going off anywhere sort of exotic um, this, this summer vacation. Oh, yes, yes, I've forgotten, yes, yes. Remind us where you're off to? Uganda. Uganda. Okay, anywhere else? Those will do. Now, we pray and trust, because we know the character of those involved, that actually those are proper responses to 
a calling from God. But it is at least theoretically possible that it might be much easier for Nigel and Liz to go to Uganda or for Daniel to go to Ecuador than to carry on with the dull stuff of just being here. It might be that when we pray for Daniel later, there are all kinds of perils that we should pray for him, protection for in his traveling and against the different bugs that he might pick up. But actually, he may be in far greater peril spiritually once he comes back and then goes off to uni. The church might might love it when you go to Uganda or to Ecuador or to any of the other places that you may be considering. The church can offer you all kinds of improper comfort if you're not being straight with God. And the church will never know that actually you were supposed to be in Nineveh. So where are you going? Are you going where God wants? Secondly, are you growing in God's character? Verse 3. Jonah pays the fare, and confident of his own capacity to be in charge of the journey and this ship that he's booked, he falls asleep. He can relax, he's done everything that's necessary to make his choice, and now he's in, and he's in charge. He's happy, he's made the decision, he's paid the fare, gone to sleep, all seems well. But the clouds are gathering, and on the horizon, the fin of a large fish is poking up through the water. And that music is going on in the background. Jonah's sleep is about to be disturbed. Verse 12, pick me up and throw me into the sea, and the sea will become calm. Somewhere between being asleep and asking to be picked up and thrown in, Jonah has come to his senses. He'd made a seriously big investment here. He'd paid for the whole venture. The baggage has now all been thrown over. He's despaired. And, And what is this change that's come over him? Well, it comes from the summons of the captain. How can you sleep? Verse 6. Jonah is actually the last one to notice that there is a storm, that judgment is actually taking place, that he can't go on as he has done. And we may be asleep. Not literally. That's possible, of course. It is a sermon, after all. But in the sense that we've decided our own course. We have embarked on a journey. And we are quietly confident that we will arrive where we wanted to arrive when we started. Perhaps we're asleep in the sense of we're avoiding service. Perhaps it's service for the wrong reasons. Perhaps you hope no one else knows that you're really running away from God's call, whatever that might look like. Perhaps you'd rather not serve God right now because it's inconvenient. Perhaps you can remember a past that you're not living in now when service of God was joyful. Well, take some time to remember and let yourself be summoned. I said earlier, it's it's good to see uh, students back, and that's a sign of summer holidays. But it's also a time when there can be conferences and camps and festivals a time when you may be working alongside others. It can be simply so exciting. If you're a Christian who's been a Christian for a long time, to work alongside someone else 
for whom the call to serve Christ isn't from ages ago like it is for you, but from uh, weeks, months. Even just praying alongside others can help wake you up. I thank God for those around me who hold me accountable. I'm a Christian minister. I cannot tell you how many things I can do that make me look godly. But only I would know my sinfulness. And when I am in that situation, there are those who would ask me awkward questions and whether it is still wholehearted service. God will act. If we're in his service for the wrong reasons, he will find a way to remind us of the right ones. There are the quiet disciplines that will keep us awake, but there are also the storms that come along and make us realize it is time to repent. I know that it is my fault, says Jonah. That's a big change. God will wake us up and remind us that he's real, that he still has purposes of compassion and mercy for the peoples of this world he's made. God has care and concern for the people in Nineveh. But Jonah's chasing a fantasy and going off to Tarshish. We're going to see this compassion and mercy later in the story. But even here, those who are sailors on this boat are given a major role. They're treated with great respect in the story. They matter to God. Many of us will know the story of Jonah. Some won't. I hope you won't be too disappointed if I let you into the secret of what happens. Nothing. Or nothing much. See, Jonah is told to go and preach against the wickedness of Nineveh. And you could imagine that he would know what that would mean. He knows what prophets do. You go and preach against wickedness, and terrible things happen to those you've preached about. There'll be sulfur boats raining down from on high. There'll be lightning, there'll be thunder, there'll be earthquake. That's what Jonah wants. We discover later on that actually he knows God too well for that. Jonah will eventually get to Nineveh, and it was. It was a sort of poster city for sin and degradation. And he'll make it clear that that all of that excitement, that power on display, is what he wanted. But the story tells us that none of those things happened. Very inconveniently for Jonah, the people repent. So nothing happens. Except that they do repent. He's going to have to learn that the people of Nineveh matter to God, even though they may be sinful, even though they may be far from him. And it may not be accidental that the prophet who flees from God's service is the one who's forgotten what God is actually like, a God of mercy and compassion and love. Those of us who've been believers for a long time can sometimes forget that God's character is to keep his heart for those who are lost to him. We may lose that edge as Jonah had lost it. And when that happens, we replace it with Tarshish, with living a life that is actually running away. But it can look to others like holy boldness. Jonah would love the exotic life of Tarshish. He doesn't want the drudgery and danger of telling Nineveh to repent. Of course, there's a parallel. Jesus was offered temptations to a life of power and exotic display. He could have chosen that. He could have chosen all the lightning bolts that he wanted. 
armies of angels, the, the works. But he chose the danger and the drudgery of the cross, of dealing along the way with people who wouldn't love him back. It's good to be a long-term believer, but there are fantasies that belong with the long-term. We can forget to grow into the character of God. We can be distracted by our Tarshish fantasies. And so those two questions. Are you going where God wants? And secondly, are you growing as God wants? And I'm going to propose that we pray now. Probably spending a little more time in end-of-sermon prayers than we might do, because after all, this is not about a criminal or moral stuff that we could say applies to everyone. It's vocational. It applies to each one. And so it's personal. And prayer may be the best place to deal with it. So make yourself comfortable and let's pray together. And first, some silence in which to consider the question, where do I serve? Where would I go in my life to describe it as service to God? At the same time, of course, are there parts of my life which I cannot in conscience describe as service to God? Time then for repentance of the fantasies that get wrapped up in serving God, making a great difference, rescuing a situation, looking busy or impressive or successful. And then time simply to remember the reality of the Lord, of Yahweh, a gracious God whose priority is always compassion and mercy on those he has made, on those he has redeemed. To serve whom is often less exotic and more shabby than we may have expected.
this is a time to be still. But we finally remember that there is a time to move. Whatever else we say of Jonah, when he was summoned to Nineveh, he didn't just sit there. Staying at home was not an option for Jonah, or for Jesus, or for us. If that means simply a doing nothing. So as we have considered, where do I serve? An open question to present to the Lord. Lord, where would you have me serve? Lord God, we ask that we may go where you want and that we may grow as you want for the sake of Jesus Christ, our pattern and our King. Amen.